Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Carly Evans. She is a Reiki master teacher, an author, a speaker, an energy healer, and a coach. Welcome, Carly. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today. How are you doing this morning? Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, well, your morning is very much my evening. It's 9 p.m. Yes. here in Australia. So. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, your evening. I'm coming to you from the future, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool, actually. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I'm really looking forward to and excited to jump in and learn and share all about your journey and all the beautiful work that you do. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) My pleasure. So as mentioned, you are all of those things. You're also a mentor, a self-love advocate, and your coaching, you work specifically with those who are facing a situation of change, trauma, or transformation. And I mean, that is one hell of a resume and a lot of hats you wear. How on earth do you find the time for all this? And how important is prioritization and organization to you in, in order to stay on top of things? Oh, I'm so organized. I have to be like, I'm really, really super duper organized, which at times can be stressful as well, just to be that organized, you know, but I, I've just kind of always naturally been a pretty organized person. And, you know, the technology that we have at our fingertips these days definitely helps with that. So yeah, I don't know. I did write a blog about this recently about how much I pack into my day and I'm not really sure how I do it, but I do do it. And I I think one of the things is that I love everything that I do. So I I have a lot of natural energy to do those things. You know, I, I kind of have a lot of motivation and inspiration throughout my day. And I suppose I get a lot of energy from helping people in the work that I do. So yeah, it just kind of fuels me to keep going. Like I, at seven o'clock earlier, I had a live group coaching session with my ladies who were going through my online coaching course. And I felt really, really buzzy after that. So I knew I wouldn't feel tired for this this interview <laughs> with you, even though it's, this is my bedtime normally because I'm up at five <laughs> in the morning. So. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, it definitely does make a difference when you absolutely love what you do. It seems like an endless reservoir of energy. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're in your zone of genius, I mean, you can be, you know, I can find that I'll be really, really tired, you know, come home from a long, hectic day at work, and then I'll launch into a coaching session and I'll just feel completely buzzing afterwards. So I'm very curious then with you wearing so many hats, what does your morning routine look like? 
Well, I've always been an early bird, I suppose. Not necessarily, I mean, I do want to, but, you know, there is that definite part of me that, you know, the alarm hits at five o'clock in the morning and there is definitely still a part of me that just thinks, oh, just, you know, I just really want to stay in this warm coziness. No, I, I know from lots of experience, if I hit the snooze alarm then and, and I don't kind of have my morning routine down pat before I kind of start my day, it really, I have a completely different day if I don't get up at five and exercise. So one of the big parts of my morning routine, well, the first thing I do is have a big drink of water because I really believe that that wakes you up a lot more than coffee. You know, we... Yeah. We often think, oh, you wake up and you feel tired. And most people will reach for caffeine first thing to wake them up, right? But actually, you know, even if your brain is 1% dehydrated, then you'll feel tired as a result of that. So I've been doing it for so long. I'll skull like a a pint of water as soon as I wake up. And by the time I properly start my day at seven, like I've, I've generally had about two liters of water in my day. So I'll be up, I'll be in the gym, generally doing a weight session, if it's winter and I'm tired and I, it's cold and I can't be bothered to do weight straight away, then I'll jump on the bike. I've got my gym and my garage. I kind of built it so okay. that I would literally be able to roll out of bed. Sometimes I'm in there in my slippers, you know, <laughs> my PJs. <laughs> yeah. If I can't bother to get changed, then I, I'm in there with my dog. <laughs> you know, I've got the door, the back door <laughs> from the garage so I kind of do my morning mobilization and stretching and stuff in the sunshine if it's still sunny at 5 a.m just really you know very consciously absorbing the dawn and really getting that first kind of light into my eyeballs into my skin because I'm I'm a big believer in you know sunlight kind of really kick-starting your circadian rhythm yeah. um, and, and I'll generally have a pretty good weight session the last three days I've actually been doing the Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod I listened to a podcast interview of his the other day and it's a book that I've had on my bookshelf for a while but I, I kind of was inspired to stop the book that I was reading and, and actually start reading his book which I've had for a while okay. so I've started implementing the miracle morning and he's got an app so i've been ticking off my little checklist of all the different things that contribute to the miracle morning have you heard of it before yes i have actually yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you I, do haven't, that? I haven't read it yet i know i haven't read it i have to do okay. that i'm in the midst of reading matthew mcconaughey's green lights oh i've read that yeah i read that some time ago oh my god he's just yeah i absolutely love that book so yeah good. so good yeah Yeah. So the Miracle Morning, basically the acronym for it is SAVERS. So you start with like a silence or meditation. Okay. And then you go into affirmations and then visualizations and then exercise and then reading and scribing, which is also journaling. So uh, journaling is something, you know, I've always thought, oh, I probably should do that. You know, I know hear about, you know, those six things are things that people who are on top of their game do religiously. You know, and how Elrod, who wrote this book, basically thought, you know, what would happen if I combine these six things into a morning routine? And I've always exercised, I've always read, I've always done visualizations, affirmations, all those kind of things. Scribing, journaling was one of those things that I haven't done a lot of. Uh, But I thought, what? He's talking about all these people getting such great results. I'm just going to put all these things into my morning routine and commit to doing it every day for the next year and see what happens. So I'm on day three of that. (laughs) Excellent. Well, congratulations on implementing that. I think it's awesome. (laughs) Thanks. Carly, what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and pushing and excelling at all that you do? Oh, 
the results that I've had in my own life from 22-ish years of personal development now and the results that my clients get. I'm constantly inspired by, I've had probably five messages today from clients that I've worked with this week, either doing coaching or distant healing or space clearings on their homes. And, you know, anytime the psychologist brain in me kicks in and thinks, does this stuff really work? You know, (laughs) then uh, I'll get a message from the universe, which will be a text message or something from one of my clients saying how much what I've done has helped them. And, you know, anytime I think, oh, I'm really busy, or I wouldn't mind a holiday or a day off. And I get a message like that. I just think, why would I give this up? You know, I, I absolutely get such a buzz from helping people who are feeling stuck and in trauma and lost and a shell of them for their former selves because I've been there too right so yeah uh, I you know why wouldn't I keep going why wouldn't I feel motivated motivated to to still do that stuff it, it genuinely lifts me up helping other people love it yeah it is a truly incredible feeling when you know and you get those confirmations that you are having an impact and making a difference in another human being's life there's no feeling like it Absolutely. And so what were you doing for a living before making the transition into the entrepreneurial world? Well, I don't know if they, I think being an entrepreneur came first. I remember being, you know, in primary school and, and selling, like I've grown up with parents who run multiple businesses. So they're amazing role models in terms of relationships and raising a family and running a business and doing all the things together, right? And I knew from them, from watching them, that I I always wanted to run a business, but I knew also that I didn't necessarily want to hire staff because <laughs> it seemed like a an absolute pain in the bum. So I, I remember being, oh God, what would I have been, 11 years old at school, like transitioning from primary school to, to secondary school where right. you know, one minute... I'm one of the biggest kids in the class and then I'm the tiniest kid in the school. (laughs) And I remember making these, it was just out of like garden wire and I would kind of, I'd twist this garden wire and there was a way that if you put this twist then in the back of your ponytail and threaded your hair through, then it would create this really cool little hairstyle. And I remember selling these to my friends at school. So I was always entrepreneurial and, you know, my friends would always come to me with their problems. So I just literally was the the school counselor, you know, I just kind of, (laughs) I feel like I've been coaching and counseling and mentoring my whole life. So I feel like that came way before getting a job. (laughs) And I studied a degree in psychology. I did a, a master's in forensic psychology and then kind of did temping for a bit. And then I went into being a probation officer in London, in Brixton, which is a, a pretty challenging place to be a probation officer. Okay. So I did another couple of years at uni, did a degree in criminal justice and ended up as a parole officer or probation and parole officer, it's called over there. Yeah. And wow. That was 16 years ago, and I've actually never stopped doing that. I've had periods where I I haven't because I moved to Australia, and sometimes on the visa that I was on, I couldn't work for the government. But even though I've had breaks, I've generally always worked for either government or non-government. I did do two years where I worked for my own business solely on its own, and I actually really miss the work that I do in corrections. Wow. Um, I went back to it. So I still, I do that and I, and I run my business. And I, and for me, it's all the same thing. It's helping people out of the darkest corners of their minds and helping them to become a better version of themselves and shed the stuff that's holding them back. 
that's incredible. So just continuing on the path, similar work mm-hmm. to your business, which is incredible, helping people and giving back to people. Absolutely. I love it. Now, I've heard a lot of people say that most, if not all coaches have, of course, been through their own personal struggles and journeys before making the leap into coaching. I mean, we all have had our own shit to deal with and our personal journeys as humans. But what I have found, though, is that for most of the people I speak with who are now coaches, their personal struggles were kind of like the catalyst for becoming a coach. Can you share a little bit about your own personal journey you were on before making the leap into the coaching world? Absolutely. Yeah. So I had definitely been through struggles before I I got into coaching. By the time I started properly coaching, what had happened? So I'd lost a few friends to suicide. I'd been in a relationship with someone who had bipolar. He wasn't diagnosed when we met. He had four manic episodes when we met. So full-blown psychosis, which if anyone is listening and has experienced that in a partner or in a, a family member or friend, it's really really scary and I was living with that person for three years so I was basically his carer Uh, he was also suicidal but in a bit of a manipulative way as well you know so there was kind of there were I remember training as a probation officer and, and training in domestic violence relationships and reading the information and thinking I'm in that situation you know wow so I kind of had a good 20 years on and off of abusive relationships in some way. I wasn't ever physically hit, but I was financially abused, emotionally and mentally abused. And I lost myself, you know, and and all of that comes from I I did a bit of schema therapy and I discovered that my schemas are unrelenting standards and self-sacrifice. So in the world of relationships, that really, I, I kind of really put myself last you know I mm-hmm. dived in helping other people to my detriment and for a long time I didn't realize it was to my detriment because I got so much fulfillment from helping other people that I you know I really didn't see it as a bad thing until it was until I was burnt out depressed you know and just feeling really like I just wasn't myself anymore I'd completely lost you know when I, I would look in the mirror and I just couldn't see that spark in my eyes anymore and I couldn't yeah. see me So, yeah, I would say what I've been through is abusive relationships, really discovering what self-love is and growing that for myself and setting boundaries. And, you know, suicide prevention has become a a big part of my life because I've lost, unfortunately, a lot of friends to suicide. And I think the exploration of really starting to prioritize yourself and realizing that it's not a selfish thing to do has been a massive learning curve for me. Yeah, we have to get over that whole thing about self-love and it being selfish and like it's selfless to be that way. We have to be that way because when we love ourselves and give to ourselves, that only enables us and makes it richer for us to be able to give to other people. And societal conditioning has led us to believe that loving ourselves and caring for ourselves is selfish. We have to learn how to reprogram that into our minds. Absolutely. Yeah. And so how have these experiences helped shape the Carly you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? Oh, in so many ways. I do find that I teach a lot on self-love these days because it's been the most important lesson that I've learned. And really from a place of not realizing that that was ever a thing for me, right? So I didn't realize that I didn't love myself at all. And, you know, I, I, I grew up 
very fortunate in a really loving family. So if you were to have asked me about my upbringing, I would have said I grew up in a loving family. You know, I've never felt anything but loved by my family. My parents are still together. They are my role models in terms of relationships and running a business and, you know, raising a family, all those things. And in the work of corrections, I work with people who have had the complete opposite of that. So there was a real conflict in me thinking, you know, who am I to think that I've been through hard times and don't love myself when I'm working with people who, you know, sometimes their stepmom has injected them with heroin when they're eight years right. old. So I've, I've, I've not grown up in a life like that at all. And it was never obvious to me that maybe I needed to do work on self-love because I'm a confident, happy person. I've got loads of friends. I've got an amazing family. I've generally lived a really good life. But there were these things coming up for me still where there was a lack there, right? I was attracting abusive people into my life. I was over-delivering in relationships when the other person wasn't committed at all. So, you know, I really had to kind of discover those things for myself to really do the work and then, I suppose, teach that to other people. I'm not even sure if I've answered your question because I just went on a ramble then. (laughs) Uh, No, no, that's all good. No, you answered it. And so what was the biggest or most valuable takeaway or lesson for you through your experiences? Definitely to love yourself. I think you really, you know, kind of came up with the best question that you can ever ask yourself in any situation, really, which is if you 100% loved, honored, cherished and respected yourself, what would be different in your life? Who would be in your life still? Who would not be in your life? Who would you have never given any time to whatsoever? You know, would you still be in the same house, job, country, relationship? You know, what would you have said yes to? What would you have said no to? I mean, there were so many things that when I reflect on that question and reflect on the life that I've led, not that I have any regrets whatsoever because all of it has taught me such valuable stuff. But if I had truly, honestly loved and respected myself, there were so many situations I never would have got involved in. I never would have been in any of those abusive relationships I would have taken my time and walked away when I saw the red flags instead of investing too early in people who, you know, who weren't worth it. And I'd have done me first, you know, I'd I'd have have given myself what I needed first and not seen it as a selfish thing. Because like you say, you know, you need to fill up your own cup first. I'm Mm -hmm. not. I'm not going to give anyone the best energy, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in a work situation or in a coaching environment or in an energy treatment, if I'm not filling my own cup first as a priority. I think most people would answer that question with some kind of change. They would change something or some relationship or something like that. But on the flip side of that, though, changing those things would change the outcome of who you are and your experiences in life, right? So our experiences shape who we are as people. But I would have to say that I would think that most, if not all people, would change one of those aspects of one of those things that you asked within that question. Mm. Oh, definitely. Right? You know, we can bullshit ourselves as much as we like. You, yeah. And I see people all day long who, you know, I'll ask them various things about, you know, how you know, they've maybe got addictions or they're stuck in toxic relationships. And I'll ask them various questions about that. And I can see them just go off on all these long tangents, which are for them giving reasons as to why they're stuck in that situation. But really, it's just 
excuses. And you can do that with any situation. Everyone can. We all do it. You know, it's just a brand of sabotage at the end of the day. But when you ask yourself that question, you know, how would my life be different if I actually really 100% loved and respected myself? You actually cannot bullshit your way through that question at all. And you, in a lot of ways, you don't even need to answer it. Because yeah. straight away, you know what's in your life that should be in your life and, <laughs> yeah. what should be, and what you should be doing more of. And, you know, yeah. you would be, if you really loved and respected yourself, you would be that person that exercises, that drinks enough water, that feeds yourself proper food, that says no when you really mean no and, you know, doesn't keep allowing disrespectful people to treat you like shit and all that kind of yeah all that stuff yeah for sure Mm. and so carly what is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other coaches why would they choose to work with you over someone else i'm probably one of the most authentic i hope one of the most authentic people that you'll ever meet and i I'm so unapologetic about that that it gets me in trouble. <laughs> you know, I'm a very sweary person. I'm a warts and all person. I'm not one of these people that will just share all their shiny shit on Facebook. You know, you will see stuff in my rawest moments when I'm going through stuff because I want people to know that, you know, like I've had a, a Reiki client in the past say to me, Carly, do you? drink alcohol do you eat junk food and I just burst out laughing I thought just because I've been teaching Reiki for this long doesn't mean that you know I'm a teetotal person who <laughs> and doesn't you know and who you know just I, I just I just find it really funny that people think that because I'm in that category of being I am a really spiritual person but mm-hmm. also what some people would call a geezer bird in that you know I'm very raw honest authentic even when sometimes it doesn't serve me and even if I don't know if people will like that like I I don't care if you like me or not because I love me and I'm like I say I'm like Marmite you either love me or hate me you know And, (laughs) and I don't care about whether you love me or hate me I am me and people will be drawn to me because of that and people won't be drawn to me because of that and I'm completely fine with that because I'm I love myself the way that I am and that's where the work comes in and that's that's the result of it is mm. feeling that way that's beautiful what in your opinion is the most important quality or skill set in a coach to that be works authentic. with the type yeah and okay. i think that yeah yeah and i think that there you know there was a a few years there on facebook and other social media platforms where you know people were just sharing their shiny stuff and you know you can go from zero dollars to a million dollars in 0.5 seconds and here's a photo of me next to a lamborghini it doesn't matter that it's not mine and people are seeing <laughs> it's rented here's the here's yeah, my mansion exactly. that i rented for the day <laughs> exactly you know just for this one photo shoot where i take a million yeah. photos not really the, and really i live in a studio flat in london <laughs> you, know, you will see the real me you know, and I think people really value that kind of authenticity. And, you know, the most traction I get on any of my social media posts is when I share the challenges that I've been through and let people know that I'm still a work in progress too. And I will be till the day that I die. I've heard, you know, there, there are so many spiritual narcissists out there who say, this is the way that things have to be done or else. And I've got no baggage left to clear because I've completely healed myself and I can completely heal you. Bullshit. And I always say, 
Yeah, exa- exactly. I always say to people, if you hear anything like that, run the fuck away. Yeah, is, exactly. Yeah, they are a spiritual narcissist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are never done the self-work. That no, is a never-ending never. journey, period. And, it, and we are, we'll still be doing it in the next life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, as mentioned, you were talking a little bit about self-love and you being such a huge advocate for self-love. I want to speak a little bit about that. And I'm curious, what is the difference between self-love and self-care? That's such a great question because, you know, for a long time, I thought self-care was self-love. And I had depression back in 2010. So I moved Mm -hmm. to Australia October 2010 Probably around June 2010, maybe a bit before, I I probably started getting the symptoms of depression. It probably started with burnout. This was the end, towards the end of my my relationship with the guy that had bipolar. And I was, you know, I'd lived in survival mode for so long, you know, with someone who really was not living on this planet at all. And you never knew what was coming every day. And I, around that time, I think it was in April that year, I, I slipped a disc in my back. And my, my go-to stress reliever is the gym. And I slipped a disc in my back pretty badly and I couldn't exercise at all. So that, you know, suddenly I was signed off work. So I wasn't doing work where I was helping anyone. I was kind of trapped in a relationship where I was a carer for someone who was following me around the house all day long when I was making myself cups of tea and hot water bottles to manage my pain. You know, I kind of really, I was a shell of my former self. And I came out of that relationship and I went into, I I wouldn't say it was a really, really deep depression. With my studies, like I've done a psych degree and master's and I felt before I had depression that I could have written a thesis on it. I, I could have told you everything about what depression was, signs, symptoms, treatments, you know, all those kind of things. But until I actually really had it, like I had no clue. And I, for me, depression was like, I felt like my brain was melting. Like I love reading and I thought, okay, I'm signed off work for four and a half months because of my back. I've got all these books to read. So I thought that's something to get excited about. And I spent, I don't know how long I spent trying to read one sentence before I gave up. And I realized my brain could not retain any information. And I felt like my brain had just melted. And from that place, I just kind of focused on self-care, you know, chop wood, fetch water. It was just keep it as simple as you can. Drink water, eat decent food, rest, sleep. And that's pretty much all I could do. And I, I kind of, by the time I moved to Australia in October, I really felt like I'd overcome depression, but... I kind of chemically, brain chemistry wise, I hadn't. I felt way better. I felt back to my normal self, moved to Australia, which is, you know, a massive change from London. It was a change that I wanted for myself for 10 years. So I just moved over here in a just an absolute whirlwind of, wow, this has been my goal for 10 years. But it's hard moving country. You know, you have to set up your entire life again. You've got no credit history. You've got no employment history. It's not that easy and yeah you know I I think a lot of people like I've noticed I've got a lot of friends who are from all around the world and they they seem to experience the same thing when they move to their kind of almost final destination where they think you know it's they don't consider the fact that they have to go through almost a bit of a grieving process and 
So I went pretty quickly back into depression in early 2011 and I found myself tree planting for my next visa. So I was in a job and I just, you know, I'd come out of probation in the UK where in a job where I felt like I was helping people and I was a resource. I was, you know, doing work that inspired me, that I was passionate about. And then I'm planting trees. And for a while, I kind of convinced myself that, okay, I'm, I'm contributing to the environment. And then I'm planting trees in a storm and everyone's saying they're just going to wash away. All the rabbits are going to eat them anyway. And I thought, you know, oh, God, man. Australia, can you just, you know, I really just want to work and do proper work. And I'm here yeah. planting. I had very quickly, probably in my first month of moving to Australia, entered into a new relationship that then at the time wasn't going so well. So I wasn't in a relationship where I was helping anyone. I wasn't in a job where I was helping anyone. And my life was kind of not all over the place, but I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. All I knew was I was getting up every day to go and plant trees so that I could get a visa to stay in Australia for good. That was my goal. But there was no fulfillment or anything. And I, it kind of hit me that, you know, really all I'd done before was self-care and I realized how all my fulfillment came from helping other people. I, I remember watering these seedlings at the place that I was working for. And I was listening to a podcast or something. And I, it just, this idea just hit me that, you know, all my self-worth came from helping other people. And I realized that that wasn't good. And I realized that, you know, when I'd, tried to quote unquote fix myself before I just focused on the self-care aspect and when I realized that I actually didn't love myself in the way that I thought I did and that I really needed to focus on my self-worth and self-care I I tried to change that in 2011 at that time but it was still years then it didn't happen until probably 2016 that I really wow really really understood it you know and so fast forward to 2016, where I, you know, I'm in a relationship, I'm engaged. I've just built my first home by the ocean. I quit working full time to run my business full time. And I, in, you know, in a lot of ways, was living my dream life. But I felt this growing hole, you know, have you ever experienced that kind of that empty hole around your solar plexus area where you just, you just feel empty inside? Yeah. 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 So, so that was happening. And I felt like this as a, as an energy worker, I knew this was my solar plexus. This is all about confidence and self-esteem. And this hole was just growing and growing and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I was listening to a podcast one day and, and I was having money issues at that point. And I think the podcast was saying something like, you know, your financial worth will only or wealth or something will only grow to the extent that you do and I had this kind of light bulb moment you know where I thought it's all about self-love and I realized all I've been focusing on was self-care you know self-care are those things it's you know it's not having a nice hot bath if you like it or going to the beach or doing a face mask or whatever it is that for you is self-care right but yeah. self-love is really vastly different. And self-care is a part of self-love, but self-love is so much more than that. It's things like, you know, saying no when you really want to say no instead of saying yes, because you feel obligated to say yes. It's standing up for yourself in any situation where you should. Whereas I, I spent 
most of my life not ever saying anything back to anyone where I should have stood up for myself because I thought I'm a crazy person I just let things go and I realized down the track I never let anything go I just stored it in a filing cabinet in my head and you know and and there would be this filing cabinet based on this one person or you know people in my life who had not wronged me but you know that thing that they said that hurt just went in that filing cabinet and I never forgot it and you know so it was self-love is nourishing yourself before nourishing other people it's saying no without guilt it's filling up your own cup before filling up everyone else's it's so many things you know it's doing what you really want to do and what makes your soul sing what makes you happy exactly it's what your zone of genius is And, and I understand you know people with families kids you know their kids will be their priority but really your kids need you to to make yourself a priority as well because when your cup is full it's overflowing you've got everything to give other people as well Uh, you know it's not self-love is not doing anything out of obligation it's not yeah it's it's so it's so many things it's so much more than self-care does that make sense Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I I like that you brought up the fact about parents and their kids. And I mean, certain things, yes, you're going to go without to provide for your kids. But you're right. It sets an example. You You have to put yourself first, too, to set that example for your children as they grow older and they see you loving yourself and doing things for you and putting yourself first so that they know that this is the way they've got to live as well. You have to model that for them. Yeah, for sure. I've put myself last so many times for for most of my life, and I didn't consciously necessarily know that I was doing that for a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, but Well, I think think that's something common among women, period, is that they put themselves on the back burner so often and put everybody else's needs ahead of their own. And that's just something that a lot of women just do. And you're right. You, they probably don't even notice that they're doing it. Until they get burnt out. Yes, <laughs> and exactly. Then I was just going to say that. Yeah, you get burnt out, you get depressed, but you still, you have to keep on keeping on, right? So you, you feel all those symptoms of burnout, depression, low iron, whatever it might be. Like I've been through all those things and and you still just get up and keep fighting the fight. And it is a fight at that point. Yeah. You know, you're you're not sleeping properly, so you don't eat properly, you don't nourish yourself properly, you don't drink enough water, you're giving everyone just a real half assed version of yourself and yeah. but you think that you have to just keep trudging on. Including and, yourself. You're giving yourself yeah. a half assed version yeah, of exactly. you. Yep. Yep. Which is the most sure. important thing. You gotta give yourself a hundred percent all the time. Mm-hmm. I was actually listening to a podcast. It was Lewis Howes being interviewed by, I think, Gabby Bernstein. Mm-hmm. I know her name was Gabby, and I think it was for the Gabby Bernstein podcast. And he said, like, he's been through very, very similar things in terms of his self-worth, and he was abused as a child. He's very, very open with his story on the School of Greatness podcast. Amazing podcast if you haven't listened to it. And he said today, when he met his current partner, who is – you know, he'd, he'd gone through a lot of really toxic relationships. And then when he met her, he had done so much work on himself that they just were having these really amazing open discussions. And he said to her, you know, do you want to hear the truth? And she said, yeah, yeah, I really want to hear the truth. He said, you're not going to like the truth, though. And she's like, 
come at me. I'm, I'm kind of ready. And he said, you will never be the priority. And that sounds really harsh. But what he means is you will never be the priority because I'm my own priority. Yes. And that sounds like some people will say, oh, that's really selfish. You know, you expect a partner to unconditionally love you. But how often, like what percentages, what percentages of relationships actually, you know, have unconditional love? <laughs> the only relationship, in, in my opinion anyways, the only true relationship that demonstrates unconditional love is between a dog and a human. That's it. Hundred percent. the only relationship. My dog Squishy, yeah. And she she that, just loves me no matter that's what. That's it. I don't <laughs> give a shit what anybody says. That is the only animal, <laughs> mammal, think capable of unconditional yeah. love. Humans are not capable of it. You may right. say you are, but you, no human being is capable of true 100% pure, un unconditional love. It's yeah. impossible. And I'm sorry to any cat owners out there. Like I've grown up with a lot of cats, but cats are fucking assholes. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of cats at all. Dogs are my thing. I'm, I'm a dog person 100% through a, and through. I have a little bulldog called Squishy. And she, I've had a lot of dogs, but she's my heart dog. I heard this on a podcast this morning where they were talking about how there'll be that one dog that's your heart dog. And she, yeah. I look at her and my heart just... I can feel my heart chakra just bursting open. Yeah, know? yeah. Just love her to bits. Dogs are incredible creatures, just mm. incredible. But mm. yeah, they're they're the only thing capable of unconditional love, in my opinion, anyway. Totally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so often we are told that, as we've been talking about, and we've said it multiple times, self-love is selfish. It's a, And it's a difficult road for a lot of people to learn to love themselves, as we've yeah. been talking about. And I mean, I'm of the mindset and the belief that absolutely everything, absolutely everything starts with self. We are the foundation for all of it. So how would you suggest someone start their journey of learning to love themselves? So I always say the easiest, quickest way, and this is, well, I say easiest and quickest. This is actually a massive challenge for a lot of people. You know, how often do you dish out a compliment and it's instantly like shot back to you? So, you know, I'll, I'll, and I'll dish out really genuine compliments all day long. I don't do it for the sake of it. So I'll say to someone, oh, your hair looks lovely today. And they'll say, oh, it's greasy. It needs a wash. Or, oh, that top's really nice on you. That color, like, really, really suits you. Oh, this old thing, I got it down the sour is about 10 years ago. Oh, it's ripped. I probably need to throw it away. You know, <laughs> or they'll feel the need to say, oh, I love your top too. You know, and I'll literally say to them, you know what? Just accept the fucking compliment. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> Just take it. People, yeah, because... That's a like that's a really clear indication that someone is uncomfortable with receiving compliments, which is kind of a lack of self-love as well. So a kind of a great surface level way to start with growing your sense of self-worth and self-esteem is when someone gives you a compliment, just accept the compliment and just say thank say you. Say thank you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I love it. That's a really easy, easy way to start because you do – I think you have to, you know, graduate into loving yourself and, you know, it will be really, really uncomfortable at first. So yeah. one of the things I did early when I kind of started realizing this for myself, like I, I had a friendship, like a best, best friendship. We were called the wives. We were that close in the UK. Yeah. We lived 
together for a long time and you know there were a bunch of things that happened and things that she said that kind of I would feel it and I just go oh ouch but I would never say anything and it was all around kind of realizing that she wasn't as supportive as I wanted her to be or I felt like I was towards her and I'd just file it in that filing cabinet, right? I wouldn't say anything. And I'd just think, I'd think, well, I'm the most chilled out, crazy friend in the world. I just, you know, nothing. <laughs> I don't react to anything. But I also didn't stand up for myself ever. And over time, this, you know, it kind of, I don't know, it wasn't necessarily a problem until one day I literally just blew up at her. And she stood there staring at me. I'm going mental at her. Because in my head, I've got all these things that have ever been wrong in our friendship. But for her, this is all brand new, right? So I never yeah. told her any So it's not her fault. It's my fault for not standing up It had been building for years. Yeah, yeah, literally years. So she's standing at me, crying her eyes out, going, what's wrong with you? You know, and yeah. I'm going, well, these are all the things that you fucked me over with. <laughs> but <laughs> she's like, what are you talking about? And so from that moment, because it, it broke our friendship, you know, and we were really, yeah. really good really friends. And in that moment, I decided, you know what, I'm never going to pretend to breed the cruisy friend again that just lets stuff go because I'm, I'm clearly not. It's going in that yeah. filing cabinet in my head. So I, the, the next time someone said something, like I remember around this time where I was going through that initial period of depression and I shared something with a friend and I'm normally like, I'm a really open book. I'll talk very, very openly. I don't care if people talk about my stuff. I really don't. But in this particular conversation, I'd said to my friend, please don't mention this to anyone. Like, I just want this to stay between you and I. And then the next minute I had another friend message me basically on the back of what this other friend had told him about what I was going through. And I, and they were worried about me thinking I was suicidal. I wasn't, but I had said some things that made my friend concerned and then he kind of lent on another friend. And I, and I straight away went to him and I said, look, I'm not saying this to make it a big deal, but I just want to let you know that what you said and did, it's not cool. I specifically yeah. told you something in confidence and said, don't repeat that to anyone else. Yeah. And you straight away did that. So what I'm going to take that to mean is that I can't trust you with things that I don't want said to other people. Like I, I probably would have had that conversation with the other friend that he spoke to anyway. Yeah. But that was my story to tell, you know, and I had specifically said to him not to repeat that to anyone. So that was kind of, it, it was uncomfortable for me to do at the time because it was new, right? Like I'd never yeah, done that before. For sure. I was standing up for myself and I kind of was also saying to him, this doesn't need to be a big deal. So that I kind of pre-framed it and softened it a bit. And I said to him, like, it's not a big deal. I'm going to say this once and then it, it like, it's not going to be a thing. We're still going to be best mates. We are still best mates to this day and he's about to come over to Perth. You know, yeah. but I needed to say that to, for myself. And now years down the track, I mean, this is t at least 20 years on now. I, mm -hmm. uh, as soon as someone says or does something that I don't feel good about, I will just say, you know, I'll just say to them that that wasn't cool or, yeah, you know, I'll just not, not cut them off. It's more of, I'll just be like, okay, that's cool. They're not a person that I can rely on. And I yeah, just won't exactly. Rely so that's, that's you know, shows I, that I you've done the work though. I, I've done so much work on myself yeah. and it's still, I, 
have no doubt so much work, more work to go. <laughs> As we all do, right? So yeah, yeah. now you've been working with people who have been dealing with addiction, suicidal ideation, all of these things that we've been talking about, trauma, which of course are all tied into mental health. And you've been working mm -hmm. with these people for a number of years. I'm curious, have you seen a notable shift in mental health and bringing it to the forefront or getting more exposure for the issues around mental health since you first started working in this field to, to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, there's two answers to that, I suppose. One, I would say yes, definitely, because there's things like the Me Too movement. There's, there are way more people talking about suicide, suicide prevention, men speaking out. It's not weak to speak, all those kind of things that we have here in Australia anyway and, and in the UK. But someone else on a podcast interview asked me this same question. And I think I have a bit of a warped perspective of it because I do work in this field. So you know, for me, there's so much talk around this topic that I don't know what it's like to see social media or anything from a point of view of someone who doesn't work in this field, who, you know, from Joe Blogg's point of view, who who just has access to normal Facebook or normal news or whatever. Like, I, I don't know what kind of exposure they would get on a daily basis about about these kind of topics. So, you know, for me, I've kind of grown over the last 16, 17 years in the topics of mental health, and I've worked really, really actively in those areas. So I see it all day long. But I do feel like it, you know, especially in places like Australia, like, it, you know, guys were very much taught to just like chop a reed, tough the fuck up. You know, don't talk about your feelings. That's weak. Yeah. Whereas there, there are, you know, so many more services now, like mates in construction over here who are, and Beyond Blue, they're very much tailored to guys who are going through depression. So there are a lot more organizations these days that are working with men and women. And I think also post-COVID era as well, like yeah. there, there are so many more online services available and you can go, like I, I work with a lot of people who have addictions and go to things like Narcotics Anonymous and they can attend those via Zoom. I don't think that was a thing before. No. You know, so, so technology has really come into play with people getting things through like better help and, and, you know, doing video calls or just phone calls with people where I yeah. think that accessibility wasn't there necessarily before. So I do think it's grown. Um, sure. But like I said, I'm very biased in, in what I see because I'm yeah. in that field. What, what yeah. about you? What do you think about that? I Yeah, I think from what I've seen and the people I've talked to, I think there has been a shift. But honestly, I mean, I think we still have a fuck of a long way to go around mental health awareness. And I don't think it's anywhere near where it should be and where it needs to be, because there are so many people that suffer and deal with this stuff in silence because they've been conditioned Absolutely. to not talk about it. It's a dirty secret. It needs to be swept under the rug. We can't talk about that things, these things. And that comes from familial conditioning, societal conditioning, all of these things that play into that so i think we still have a fuck of a long way to go and we do we need in my opinion conversation is the catalyst for change we have to start talking about things we and we need to have the difficult conversations that's how we start to change shit is talking about it and it may be uncomfortable but we need to do it it has to happen because 
that's how we start to change things. That's how we start to bring people into the conversation. And it, it really needs to happen. I mean, that's my two cents. And that's what I think. We still have a long way to go. And more people need to get on board with it. Yeah, I completely agree. But also at the same time, what I'm seeing in the youth space is that I think that, you know, when I, I mean, I'm going to hit 42 this year. And I don't remember the term anxiety ever being used in my upbringing. And for me, and, you know, for me, a lot of the times when I hear the term anxiety, like you hear a lot of people saying, oh, I've got anxiety. You know, when really they're just feeling stressed. Like I just remember hearing the term stress. And, you know, before I had depression, I didn't feel this way. But after I had depression, I got really pissed off with the amount of people that would say just feeling depressed. Because until you've had clinical depression, like I really, like I said, I was, you know, I did all my studies in depression. I could have written a thesis on it. But until I had it, I really didn't know. You know, if you haven't gone through what that person that you're speaking to has gone through, you don't fucking know a thing. You can can say that you can empathize with them, but don't sit there and say, I know what you're going through. Like I've I've had a chronic pain issue for the last 10 plus years, right? I've got bulging disc and at times it really flares up and it's very much stress related. And I, I was chatting to a colleague at work, she looked at me and she could see, like I, I, most of the time I'm about a five out of 10 on the pain scale, right? And I've got a high pain threshold. So most of the time, no one would ever know that I'm in pain. But this particular day, I was a good eight, nine out of 10. And you can see it in my face. And the people that really know me will look at me and say, you're not good today, are you? And I was down at the coffee shop getting a coffee and I saw this colleague and she's like, how are you going? Are you okay? You're looking pain. I'm like, yeah, I'm really fucking sore. <laughs> and she said, oh, well, I, I know how you feel. I went for a walk yesterday and my calves are sore. And I just thought, fuck you. <laughs> no, I thought, and she's, she's like on the larger side. Like I'm not, I don't want to fat shame or anything like that, but she's on the larger right. side, probably doesn't walk very much. And I thought... You went for a five, 10 minute walk and your body hurts a bit. You don't know at all how I feel. Yeah. Just like people don't know at all what it's like to be depressed when they just feel a bit shit one day. Yeah. You know, like you don't know what it's like to have clinical depression unless you've had clinical depression. You don't know what it's like to lose a child unless you've lost a child. You don't know what it's like to have gone through divorce unless you've been divorced. You can't sit there and say, I know how you feel unless you actually do. People say all the time, I have anxiety. And, And the thing is that, you know, I'm so grateful that I didn't grow up with social media and a smartphone. Like, I'm so grateful for that. I really am. Me and too. I look at my stepkids who are glued to their phones. And although from an adult perspective, yes, we could talk about mental health a lot more. But actually, when I don't know if it's the same in America, but over here in schools, like, you know, the the rate of suicide in teenagers is really really not good it's a massive thing that we need to work on but I also think that things like that kind of make us have a bit of a knee-jerk reaction and you know I've heard of you know, I've been asked by three different mums do I work with teens 
And they explained to me, you know, one of them had a son whose friend committed suicide at 14 and their whole school is going through that, you know, and all the school counsellors and the teachers, everyone, all the mums are watching them look like absolute hawks. Yeah. And as a result, teenagers who are going through normal teenage hormones for a start, like I remember being 15 and feeling completely shit. Yeah. And knowing that I didn't feel like I had any reason to feel like shit because I had a great family upbringing, you know, like I didn't know why I felt the way that I did. But kids now are going through teenage hormones plus social media and not just Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, like comparisonitis. Yeah. Like there's so many people to compare yourself to. And then copycat suicides and, you know, all these people watching them like hawks. It doesn't take much. I'm starting to realize for a teenager to speak to a school counselor and get instantly diagnosed with major depression and anxiety when really they're just a little bit hormonal, they've been feeling a bit shit for a couple of days and suddenly their feelings are pathologized instead of normalized and they will be sent to their GP and they'll say, take this medication. And, and I'm, and I'm getting told this stuff and thinking what the actual fuck like yeah. these are kids who are extremely hormonal and extremely malleable and extremely influenced by their peers. And also, you know, being told by their peers, oh, there's these things called benzos. If you go to your doctor and give these kind of answers to these bunch of questions, you'll really easily get diazepam. They're really good. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, they'll be diagnosed anxiety and then that's a label and then you hear kids talking about my depression my anxiety when I see my therapist and it's all really pathologizing very very normal emotions like when I was a teenager I was just probably hormonal and yeah those words get tossed around very lightly very lightly and that's wrong and that's part of the problem totally yeah we need to change that just because you're feeling sad one day or a couple of days does not mean you're fucking depressed. It's okay to have those exactly. emotions, but it doesn't mean you're depressed. And who the there fuck is a, really a school good- counselor to diagnose anybody? You're not a doctor. No. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know what? I mean, I, there's this thing called the depression and anxiety something scale, the DAS it's called. And it's a very, very simple. You can literally Google it and find the DAS online. The diagra- is that the diagram are. of the faces with the numbers? No, it's just a, a okay. multiple choice question. Okay. And uh, it's things like, you know, have you struggled to sleep recently? Have you felt sad in the last two weeks? Have you, you know, it basically to be diagnosed with clinical depression, you need to have experienced a range of symptoms for a two week period or more. Right. But when you actually look at the DAS, so this inventory, when I was 15, if I'd have gone through that DAS with a doctor, I'd have definitely been diagnosed with depression. But coming from my nearly 42-year-old self, looking back at my 15-year-old self, there's no way that I had depression back then. I was full of raging hormones and I didn't have a clue who I was. And I had all these really profound questions about the meaning of life and why we're here and what happens when we die and, you know, no one to talk to about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, which is just normal for most teenagers. That's part of being a teenager. Exactly. But if every teenager gets diagnosed with depression, anxiety and gets or ADHD, which is also a a thing that's very common now. Yeah. and gets medicated on basically amphetamines 
Yeah. Then what is the fucking world going to look like in the next 20 years? Zombies. Zombies. A zombie apocalypse. <laughs> that, that's, what I, that's what I was going to say is that. Have you seen that meme of that, that cartoon with everyone looking down at their phones and like the zombie yes, apocalypse? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what it'll be. And Big Pharma plays into this whole picture because let's just put them on drugs. Let's get them on drugs. Yeah. Oh, come on. Put these pills Moderate down your throat. Like, Make it easy to be in lessons where they're not actually yeah. learning anything. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that, that is a big part of the problem too is Big Pharma and their contribution to this epidemic, to this problem is Absolutely. the doctors just, easily prescribing meds here you go just put yourself on these you'll be okay meanwhile you're yeah. fucking creating zombies when yeah. they don't even fucking have depression so you're giving them pills for shit they don't need i'm so they glad you're have. a swearing well, by the way oh yeah 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 because yeah. <laughs> i really am <laughs> yeah oh yeah and this stuff pisses me off like this is these kids the teenagers coming up the young kids adults coming up they are the future of the world and you people mm. are fucking putting them on drugs and, and zombifying yeah. them because yeah. that's just the easy route. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's I, sad. I mean, it's very, very well, sad. I don't know it's like, you know, it's really, it's going to be pretty crazy, but you know, there, there was a, an amazing Netflix documentary I, I watched years ago now. I can't remember what it was called, but it was based on a school in Peckham, which is in Southeast London, a really dodgy part of Southeast London, which actually, you know, I, I did about 10 years of voluntary work when I was, you know, it, kind of school age and then going to university. And one of the voluntary jobs I did was for youth at this organization called Youth at Risk. And I was a mentor for at-risk youths in a school in Peckham. And I mentored three girls who were at risk of expulsion. And they were the ones, I didn't realize till later, actually, they were the ones that called me Coach Carly for the first time. And I remember walking uh. across the school field. Like there were, there were a bunch of us that got trained and three of us that got picked. Two of the adults were both 42 and I was 24. And I, I thought, what are kids going to vibe with the most I went in there with my leather jacket all my hipster jeans I made sure my tattoo was showing you know because I thought that's what they're going to vibe with right right and we kind of all sat there as a group and the teachers were kind of explaining okay so this is what this whole mentoring scenario is about there's three mentors at the back of the room and they kind of picked kids to go with various different mentors and I heard basically there was a bunch of kids that didn't come with me who kicked up a fuss and said, I want to go with her. And <laughs> I had these three girls and I would walk across the school field every time. I don't even remember how long I did it for now. It was a few months. I walked across the school field and I heard, Miss, Miss, Coach Carly. And they'd call me <laughs> Coach Carly. And I would, we'd get in a classroom. This was after school time. And they would literally, they just looked like they were ready to pop, right? Of, and they yeah. just saved all this information for me and they just blurted it all out. And they were like, oh, you know, I wasn't their friend. I wasn't their school teacher. I wasn't their parent. I was just some chick that was coming who was interested in listening to what they had to say. And they would just share all the stuff that was on their mind. They were like, oh, I'm having this fight with my best friend over this crap. And my teacher's really pissing me off. And my dad's really annoying me. And, you know, they just kind of blurted all this stuff out. And I just, you know, it was a really, it was one of my favorite roles still to this day. And it was such a long yeah. time ago now. And Powerful. more, yeah, more kids need stuff like that. And so there they was do. this 
um, this Netflix docu- documentary on a school in Peckham. It wasn't the same school. The kids were much younger. And two of the things that I remember were that they taught them meditation and mindfulness. So the documentary was, you know, filming what was going on in the schools and then also filming their home environment. So these kids were learning meditation and mindfulness practices and then going home and teaching their parents. And the parents would then get get interviewed and just the results that they were having was amazing. And they would read books, normal books like Little Red Riding Hood in school. These were quite young kids. They were maybe, I don't know, seven, six, seven, eight, something like that. And out of all the books that they read as a group collectively, the teacher would assign each kid to a different character. So as they were reading the story, the teacher would say, okay, so-and-so who was supposed to be the wolf, what do you think the wolf was feeling at that point? Well, he was probably hungry. And then the teacher would say, okay, what do you think Little Red Riding Hood was feeling at that point? They'd be like, oh, she was probably feeling really scared. And, you know, but the wolf didn't really mean it. And, you know, he was just doing wolf things. And (laughs) so they put these kids in a position where they, as a group, collectively talked about the different perspectives of each of the characters in these books that they were reading. And I just, and teaching them meditation, and and they were sitting there with their hand on their heart and on their stomach and tuning into their body and what they were feeling and thinking and what it all meant and that it was okay to feel those things and, and teaching them ways of processing it. And then they were going home to their parents in a council flat and teaching their parents how to do these things as well. Incredible. We, I say this all the time. If we all learned personal development techniques in school, can you imagine how different the world would be? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a whole other podcast episode. The education system's completely <laughs> fucked. It's it's a waste of time. Yeah. And the documentary, was it called Peckham Finishing School for Girls? No, no, because it oh, wasn't okay. that posh. <laughs> no, oh. Peckham Finishing <laughs> School sounds very, very posh. But yeah, that I mean, the education system's completely fucked. And like I said, that's a whole yeah. other podcast episode because yeah. that needs to change as well. It's a mess. Right. What's it that? It is a mess, yeah. It is. I'll get my it's teacher horrible. Carly, what would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? Oh, back to self-love for sure. Uh, Before I learned really, truly how to love myself, I continued to attract people into my life who took advantage of me. And I don't blame them for that because I let them because I had shit boundaries and no self-love. And my life was very, very different as a result of that. I would have been a lot further ahead in life, financially, emotionally, mentally, in so many different ways. I'd have moved to Australia probably 10 years before I did because it was a lifelong goal of mine. You know, so many things would be different. I don't regret any of it. I It's taught me so, so much. And it's what I coach people on now, you know. Yeah. Uh, my life is different. As a result of learning self-love, I mean, now, God, I live in a country that I'm so grateful to live in. I live, you know, a very short distance to the beach. I get to walk on the beach as often as I want. I have the most amazing dog. I've got the most amazing partner who I really had to, you know, if I hadn't learned to love myself, if I and I say this to him, if I met him 10 years ago before I really, really loved myself, I would not have given him a second glance. Not because yeah. he's not hot, because he's absolutely gorgeous, 
but <laughs> there's not a single ounce of malice in him. He has, from the first minute that we met, just demonstrated to me how interested he is in every single thing I say to the point where the gifts that he buys me years down the track are so thoughtful. One day we were going out and I put a dress on and I just made this fleeting comment that I didn't have a bag, like a, a bag to go with that dress. And months later, the you know one of the Christmas gifts that he got me was a, a black bag that would match any dress that I had. <laughs> and just things like that let me know that he listens to every single yeah. thing I say. But when we met, I had done a lot of self-love work on myself to leave those abusive, toxic relationships. But when we met, I had to do a whole bunch more work on myself to allow his kind of love in because it's magnificent love and it scared the shit out of me. You know, like I, I wanted to run away because it was healthy and I wasn't used to that. I thought, no, I'm right. just going to take this really, really slowly because I have to watch out for the red flags because I've never done that before. And months, 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 and months in, there were no red flags. And Yeah, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. I didn't believe it, right? Yeah. And then I did a Reiki treatment on him, and he had the most balanced energy field out of anyone that I'd ever done a treatment on in 16 years, and I had energy body envy. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm not as balanced as you. What the fuck? This can't be real. <laughs> You know, so I, if I hadn't done that work on myself, I would still be in shit relationships. I was 38 when I met him and I, I kind of, you know, I'd really not, I hadn't quite resigned myself to the fact that, that I wasn't going to meet proper love, but I was, I was getting to that point where I thought, you know, like I, I'm a really good person. I've given so much to people and I found myself at 38 going to fill in a form at a doctor and, and being asked for who was my next of kin. I thought, who do I write? My All my family's in the UK and I'm in Australia. Yeah. And that was a massive, that was a real kick in the guts for me because I thought, wow, I've done so much in my life to help other people. And here I am not even knowing who to write as my next of kin, you know? And when I met him, I really had to do even more work on myself to love myself enough to let him love me the way that he can. And I think when you think about really anything that's going on in your life, whether you're in a shit relationship or in a shit job, if you're in a, any kind of situation that you don't like, everything comes down to self-love. Because if you truly, honestly loved yourself and respected yourself enough, you wouldn't stay in any shit situation. Wow. So that is my Powerful. number one learning in life. And I think it will probably stay my number one learning in life. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Carly. Pleasure. Carly, what what does the word empowerment mean to you? Oh, what does the word empowerment mean to me? It means taking back my power. Like I, through that lack of self-love, I, I gave my power away to so many people so often every single day to the point where I, you know, I was burnt out, depressed, and literally just a shell on the floor that, mates had to scrape up <laughs> yeah you know and when I loved myself enough that uh, I think the whole self-love thing means that you feel empowered again and I feel so empowered these days that I feel empowered enough to be literally a hundred percent authentically me swear words and all warts and all <laughs> even if 
it might upset people or rattle people's cages. I don't care yeah, because it. it's me. And and I know that by me being me, it also empowers other people to be more them. And that's Powerful. that's a massive goal of mine is I want I want as many people to feel what it feels like to truly love yourself and to truly feel as empowered as I do. Because that is like if everyone did that, like if everyone in the world loved themselves, the world would be a very, very different place. Absolutely. 100% agreed. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions should just be two, three, four word answer type thing, okay? Sure. How would you describe yourself in one word? Authentic. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Self-love. What is your favorite self-care practice? Oh, probably heavy weightlifting. <laughs> <laughs> if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Saying the word fuck a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from necessities, what is one thing you could absolutely not go without? Cuddles. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> what is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the past year? Oh, I hit a place where I got massively triggered by the feelings of abandonment and rejection. It's not in the last year, so I don't know if I'm allowed to answer it like this, but this was just before I met my partner, Cam, and I, you know, I came out of a whirlwind relationship where I felt extremely triggered and felt just huge abandonment and rejection. I didn't know where that came from because like I said before, I only remember feeling loved and just completely nourished by my family. So I really, I had to, you know, as a psychologist brain, as a coach brain, I had to go back to my mum and say, tell me the stuff that I don't remember. And she yeah. told me that when my brother was born 15 months after me, I'm the eldest child, and mum had postnatal depression and she couldn't cope. And she's Dutch Indonesian, so she grew up in Holland. And she sent me to Holland with my grandparents for three months to live so that she could just get on top of, you know, being a new mum to her second baby. And from a developmental point of view as a psychologist, I'm like, wow, I was 15 months old and I went to a new country with different smells, a different language, you know, with people that were family, but I didn't know well enough and ripped away from my mum for three whole months. And I never knew that. You know, I never knew that until I asked and I did the digging because I didn't understand where this abandonment and rejection stuff came from. So, you know, there's like personal development is a never ending story, right? Like you for sure find stuff out about yourself through conversations, through so many, through literally chucking everything at it that I, if I didn't know that, if I hadn't had that conversation with my mum about that, then I'd have just been completely in the dark about why I felt so triggered in terms of abandonment and rejection stuff. Like this doesn't make sense for my life that I remember. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's fucking huge. In the, for it's, sure. It was massive, and when I healed yeah. that, that's when I met Cam because there you, you go. know I heal that stuff to really allow proper love in. Yeah, for sure. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? Again, it's self-love. <laughs> no, I keep laughing I'm seeing about a threat. it. I'm seeing a common thread I know. here, Carly. <laughs> I know. Like, and, oh, I, I suppose that, but also just be unapologetically you. And yeah. I think 
you know, when like be your authentic self. And I think the only thing that can allow you to be that with no apologies whatsoever is loving yourself enough to do that. I don't think you can really be your authentic self without loving yourself enough to do so. Yeah, those go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Love it. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? It would probably be my great-grandmother, who I've never met. Okay. Yeah. I mean, my mum is amazing. My Omar, who's my Dutch-Indonesian grandmother, when she she, she died at 98, she was amazing. But if I could peer into the soul of her mother, who I never got the chance to meet, I would love to know because I think – I'm an eighth Javanese and I know that's where my healing side comes from. Mm. So I think if I could delve into the Javanese side of my family, it would be really cool to have a chat with her. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? I think you can probably guess it by now. If you love <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love yourself and be unapologetically you because the, the world needs you, you to be yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Lastly, Carly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, like your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? I would say don't be afraid to do the work because life is a never-ending journey of doing the work on yourself. And it takes courage to do that, but it's so, so worth it because when you face all your shadow shit, your entire being and the world as a result is a completely different place. You raise your vibration, you raise the vibration of the people around you by proxy and life is just so much more fun and enjoyable. Beautiful. I love it. Beautiful way to end the interview, the conversation. Carly, thank you so much. This was an incredibly beautiful, inspirational, and amazing conversation. I appreciate we had lots of laughs and that self-love thread. I mean, it's such an important piece. So thank you so much for sharing your insights and your wisdom and your knowledge. And just keep shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world and doing the beautiful work that you do. Oh, thank you, Brad. I really appreciate our chat today. It's been so good. My pleasure and my honor. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Carly Evans. She is a Reiki master, teacher, an author, a speaker, an energy healer, a self-love advocate, and a coach. Thank you so much, Carly. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.